Well, I read the story of a 100-year-old man from Dallas, and his story is remarkable. He had accomplished some things that were pretty, pretty amazing. He had served in the military as a pilot and had trained bomber pilots for, uh, during World War II. He competed recently in a USA track and field indoor meet, and he won five world records, five world records in his age division. And pretty amazing to think about. He credits his name, Orville Rogers. He credits his, his faith, his family, and his active lifestyle for his longevity and, and his success. Um, altogether, Mr. Rogers has won 18 world records in running. He began competing when he was 90 years old. Isn't that something to think about? Now, this gentleman can tell us a little something about staying the course. At 100 years old, he's staying active, winning world records. He's encouraged when you, when you hear him talk. He's got a joyful spirit. He said that his Christian faith was absolutely critical in helping him keep going and in helping him make it to 100. How about you? Are you staying the course of life? Are you moving in the right direction, keeping a strong and steady pace? Are you on the right path? Well, these are the questions that we'll think together about as we look at Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look in the pew and look in the table of contents there. You'll find Philippians. It's near, uh, it's near the back of the Bible. I want to invite you to open up to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. And as you turn there, you'll remember that this book is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. He wrote this letter to encourage the church and their faith to re- and to continue on in their relationship with the Lord. And we see that clearly in today's passage. Let's look at Philippians 3, beginning in verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything To himself. This text teaches that you should be careful to stay the course in following Christ. You should be careful to stay the course in following Christ. Well, how do we do that? Let's look in verse 17. In verse 17, Paul says to the Philippians, Imitate me. Now that may sound arrogant. Wait a minute. Who's this Paul guy thinking that he can tell people, Do what I do, imitate me? The reason Paul could say that is because Paul's heart was set. On following Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he, he told the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So the reason that Paul urged the Philippians to follow his example is because Paul was committed to passionately following Jesus. In, in chapter 3, verse 12, if you look just a few verses earlier, Paul admits that he hasn't arrived spiritually, that he still has maturing to do, but the direction of his life is clear. He has set his heart on knowing the Lord Jesus. That's why he encourages the Philippians to follow him. If you also notice in verse 17, he says, pay careful attention to, to the example of others who have, 
who are following the, the, the kind of path that, that I've taught you. If you'll remember in chapter 2, he mentioned Timothy and Epaphroditus as men who were committed to the gospel. And so Paul offers up people like this. And he says to the Philippians, look at them. See how they live. Look at their life. It's as if the people who are following Christ faithfully are preaching living sermons. They're taking the word of God and they're showing what it means to be lived out. Consider Paul himself. You'll remember that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. Why was he in prison? Because he killed some? No, he was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. And so sitting in prison, he's writing letters to churches trying to encourage them to continue on. But what could he have been? He could have been stewing. He could have become bitter and angry. God, how could you have let me be thrown in prison? I was serving you. That's what I get for serving you, God. So Paul says, follow me. Why? Because if the Philippians follow Paul's example in the midst of suffering, they'll learn how to have the right attitude. So you see, as we look at Christians who are faithfully walking with the Lord Jesus, it shows us how to live. Paul's example and the examples of others are are clear on that. Now, what about when a faithful follower of Jesus fails and sins and, and messes up? How do you handle that? Obviously, you don't emulate the sin, but watch what a faithful follower does. When a faithful follower of Jesus messes up, you know what they're going to do? They're going to repent. They're going to they're going to seek forgiveness, and they're going to try to make things right. So, so we can learn even in, in the struggles uh, of those that are, that are faithful to Christ. So how do we stay the course? According to verse 17, we follow the example of the godly. We follow the example of the godly. I read the story of a woman named Anne Hilliard. She lived in 19th century England. She was a woman of moderate wealth. She lost her husband in her 30s. And through the struggle, she continued to maintain a vibrant faith, a deep trust in the Lord Jesus. And her heart was moved for the things of Christ. And she made great sacrifice for the cause of Christ. She became very troubled by by children who who needed to be cared for. And she began to to want to open an an orphanage. And so she met with Charles Spurgeon, that great English preacher in 19th century England. She met with him and she talked with him because the church was looking at ways to try to serve the children. And she met with him and, and they worked together to found an orphanage for boys. And she donated what would be $3.4 million in, in uh, today's money. For that orphanage, in fact, before the orphanage opened, she sold some of her household goods, even the family silverware, to try to help provide for that orphanage and to meet the needs that that arose there near the opening of the orphanage. Speaking at the opening celebration, Spurgeon spoke of Mrs. Hilliard. He said, her monetary contributions were first announced in the newspapers. People said it had been given by a duchess. But I say, no, it is given by a princess, one of the blood imperial, a daughter of the king of kings. She has given it in the most unostentatious manner, desiring that her name should not be known. I and my friends have dragged her into the light today, contrary to her wishes. She is a simple, earnest Christian woman who has devoted by far the largest portion of her property to God without asking honor from anyone She only asks help for this great work. 
I hope to see not 200, but 2,000 boys in the orphanage. And I ask all those who now here to give three cheers for Miss Hilliard. You see, Miss Hilliard's legacy continues. The, the work that was begun that day continues to serve children in Christ's name in England. When Miss Hilliard was near the end of her life, she was in her last days. The children that she had cared for, many of them came to, to, to see her and to visit with her. And her last words were reported to be, My boys, my boys. And that, my friends, is a life well lived. She stayed the course and following the Lord Jesus. The question is, will you? Will you stay the course? Let's think about what this looks like in our lives. Who are you looking up to? Who who are you following? Is it a celebrity? Well, for the most part, that's probably not a good thing. Is it is an athlete? Well, be careful. Is it a shrewd businessman or businesswoman, leaders in their field? Is it the latest guru? We emulate all kinds of people. Who does Paul say to imitate? Humble followers of Christ. Those are the people that you want to imitate, that you want to become like. No, you won't find a man who's perfect, but look at how he lives. Look at how he does business. Look at how he treats his wife. Look at how he treats his kids how he attends church, how he serves in the church, how he loves Christ, how he loves others and and lifts others up and strives to to bless others. Yeah, look at his life. You know know people like that. Or look at her life. The godly woman, look at how she prays. Look at how she encourages others and and lifts others up, how she pours her life into serving Christ, how she pours her life into her family and, and nurturing her kids. Or if she's older into nurturing younger women, mentoring and discipling them. You see, watch how these folks live, the apostle says, and be inspired, be encouraged. Not only that, as we, as we look in the pages of Scripture, we can see examples. We can also see examples throughout the history of the church as we read biographies of, of believers who have been faithful to God. Paul's word is imitate these people. Follow in their path. Next, we need to ask the question, are you, if you're a Christian, are you living the kind of life that another believer could imitate? Now, friends, that hits home, doesn't it? If you're a Christian, are you living the kind of life that another believer could imitate? Do others see a deep love and a deep passion for Jesus in you? If someone said to you, hey, do you know so-and-so? What do you think of him? Man, he's the real thing. Is that what they would say? Or would they say, oh, man, he's a great businessman, or she's this, or he's that? What what would they think of when they thought of you? Oh, friends, we want to live lives that are worthy of imitation. We want people to see Jesus in us. We we want to be like him in the words that we use, in the attitudes that we have, in our actions. Do they see in our lives the fruits of the Spirit? Do they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, Self-control, is, are these the things they see in our lives? Do they see us striving to share the gospel, striving to care for and minister to others? Friends, is your life worthy of imitating, of following? Brothers and sisters, it, it needs to be. We don't need to make excuses for why. That's just for some people. This is for all who follow Christ. So how do you stay the course in following after the Lord Jesus? Well, we've seen first that you follow the example 
of the godly. How else do you stay the course? Let's look in verses 18 and 19. Paul says, what I'm telling you, I've already told you. I've told you this over and over. The fact that Paul keeps telling the Philippians this says something about his love for them. He wants them to, to understand, to get it. It's, it's like, the, it's like the, the, the dad or the mom who, who maybe sometimes overdoes it. I'm not saying Paul did that here, but, but the dad or the mom who keeps saying to their kid, now, honey, you know such and such. Don't you forget. Don't you forget. Why? Because that dad or that mom loves. They love their kids. And Paul loves, loves the people that, that he's writing to, these believers in, in Philippians. And so, so he says, I, I've told you this over and over again, but why does he say it? Because he longs to see them stay the course. In verse 18, Paul speaks of those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, when Paul speaks of those who are enemies of cro- the cross of Christ, is he yelling at the top of his lungs? Is he typing in all caps? Is he angry as he writes these words, these worthless enemies of the cross? No, Paul tells us his spirit. As he writes about those who are enemies of the cross, he writes with tears running down his cheeks, his heart is broken as he thinks of those who reject the Lord, who walk their own path, who refuse to follow Christ. His heart is is broken over them. It seems here, as you look at this passage, that Paul's actually speaking of people who are within the church. So, So it's possible that a person can be within the church and still be an enemy of Christ. How is that possible? Well, Paul... Paul, Paul says here that, that their lives reveal that, that it's not real. Their lives reveal that they're truly enemies of the cross. The way that they live, well, the way that they live tells the truth. They may be in the church, but you can still be an enemy of Christ and be in the church every Sunday. That, that's what Paul is pointing to here. Now, this brings up the reality of hypocrites. We must admit that every single one of us who's a believer is a hypocrite in one way or another. What I mean by that is we all sin and we all struggle. But but what about those who are really hypocrites? You know what I mean. They're at church every Sunday and then they go out and they live however they want. There's not repentance. There's not brokenness over sin. What what about those kind of hypocrites? Well, Well, one writer said this, the very fact that there are hypocrites proves that all are not so. It is the very fact that there is gold in the world that makes another try to imitate the metal and so cheat his neighbor. If there were no true Christians, there would be no hypocrites. So hypocrisy in some proves authenticity in others. I think there's some good insight there. There are hypocrites in the church, but there are folks who love Jesus with all their hearts too and who strive to honor and love him. Now look in verse 19. Paul continues speaking of these who aren't genuine believers, but who are enemies of of Christ. He looks to their future, and look what he says. Remember, tears are flowing down his cheeks as he writes these words. He says their end is destruction. The reality is that those who in this world reject Christ and who who say, you know what, I, I want none of that, are going to get for all eternity what they demanded here on earth, life without God. Only, friends, it will not be heaven. It will be horror. Paul says their end, as he wipes the tears from his cheeks, their end is destruction. Paul says that their stomach is their God. What does Paul mean? What a strange thing to say. Are they bowing down to their stomach? What Paul is saying is that their desires, their appetites control them. 
It's gotten such a hold on, that they, hold on them that they bow down and they worship. Paul used the, the same word stomach in 1 Corinthians 6.13 in regards to sexual immorality. So this is a person who is controlled by his appetites, by his desires. And these people who are controlled by their appetites and their desires are not followers of Christ. Paul also says that they live how they want to live. They're not ashamed of what they do. They, they, they do whatever they want. They give in to their sinful indulgence, not with shame, but they're fine with it. They're proud of it, happy in their sin, glad about it. And then he says that their focus is on earthly things. They're driven by their own personal gratification. They've set their sights on the pleasures of the world, on the successes of this world. This world is their focus. It's their hope. They have no regard for Christ, no true regard. They are chasing after the stuff of this world. And Paul uses their example as a warning to the Philippians. So how do you stay the course in following Jesus? Well, we saw first, you follow the example of the godly. But as we think of verses 17 and 18, how do you stay the course? Beware of living as an enemy of Christ. Beware of living as an enemy of Christ. Now, when you go to a wax museum, you can step back into history. You can see George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. You can step into Hollywood and see this star and that star, or maybe into Nashville and see this singer or, or that band. At a wax museum, you see all sorts of scenes, all sorts of people, but everyone has this in common. Every scene you see and every person you see, it's not real. It's, it's just wax. Now, on the outside, that wax figure may look very realistic, but on the inside, wax, that's all. So what Paul is saying to the Philippians here is that you must be very careful that you aren't deceived. He's saying it's possible to be in the church and to think that you're fine with God or to be living life thinking that all is well, saying to yourself, well, I, I'm, I'm a good person, I'm fine, everything is fine. It's possible to do all those things but to truly be an enemy of Christ. You see, in a wax museum, we know all the figures aren't real no matter how real they look. But in real life, our hearts can deceive us. They can trick us. They can blind us. And Paul's warning the Philippians not to be tricked. Beware of those who would walk as enemies of, of Christ. Don't be in that group. So are you a follower of Jesus or are you his enemy? Now, I want you to notice something. Paul doesn't give a spectrum here. He doesn't say, over here's the hardcore follower, and then over here's the, the, the follower, the, the really good follower. Then here's a sort of follower. Here's a not follower. Here's an enemy of Christ. Here's a hardcore enemy of Christ. He doesn't give this spectrum. That's how we want to see life. Well, I may not be here, but at least I'm not there. So I'm, I'm good. But Paul doesn't allow that. He Oh, we hate black and white categories, don't we? Especially in today's world. But he just gives us two options. You're a follower of Christ or you're an enemy of Christ. That's what Paul says. We want to make it more nuanced than that. We want it to be more complicated than that. Surely it's not like that. It's just so binary. But Paul gives no room for that. And so, friend, today, every single person who's sitting here well, you fall in one of two categories. You're a follower of Jesus 
or you are his enemy. Which are you? Which are you? That's a question we've got to answer. It's a question every one of us simply must answer. How do you become a follower of Jesus? Well, John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. How do you become a follower of Jesus? Well, you recognize that at the cross, Jesus gave up his life. He took the punishment for our sin upon himself. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. You see, when he died on that cross, he took the weight of our sin He took the punishment, the weight of our sin, and he made a way for people who are sinful and who are rebellious to be forgiven. Why do we need to be forgiven? Because the God who created us is completely pure. He's completely holy. And he can't overlook our sinfulness. He can't overlook our rebellion. To do so would be to compromise his very nature, to compromise his very character. God cannot do that. So what he did is he sent his own son to come and to take the punishment that we deserve. So how do you become a follower of Jesus? You call out to him in faith. You say to him, forgive me for my sins. I believe you died on the cross, that you came back to life, and I want to follow you. And the Bible says that when you call out to Jesus like that, that he saves you and he saves you for all eternity, and he sets your life on a new course. And he begins to shape you and change you, and he helps you stay the course. Remember, Paul said something about that in Philippians 1, 6, didn't he? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So the God who saves, shapes, and changes you. Are you a follower of Christ? Are you his or are you an enemy of Christ? So how do you stay the course? We saw first that you follow the example of the godly. Second, We saw that you must beware of living a life as an enemy of Christ. Well, how else can you stay the course? Let's look in verses 20 and 21 as we continue to think about this question together. In contrast to those who are enemies of Christ, whose future is destruction, Paul reminds the Philippians of the future of those who are believers. They are are citizens of heaven. Take that in. We take it for granted because we throw those words around in church a lot, but take that in. They're citizens of heaven. Think of how many people would love to be a citizen of the United States. How many people have made applications who are trying to to, to be able to become a citizen of our country? But Paul says here, you're citizens of heaven. Heaven. Get that grasp that that's huge. You belong to to the Lord. You're a part of the kingdom of God, heavenly citizens. Paul doesn't want us to lose the wonder and the hope that brings. The wonder and hope that we can know as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Also, Paul wants the Philippians to feel the weight and the responsibility of being citizens of heaven. You see, With privilege comes responsibility. Paul wants the Philippians to see that, to understand that. Paul says here, we eagerly await a Savior from heaven. Now notice that he calls Jesus here Savior and Lord. These were words that were often applied to the Roman emperor. Savior and Lord, because the Roman emperor was viewed as one who who came and, and saved. And the one who was great, a mighty Lord. Paul purposely says, oh 
we have a Savior and a Lord, and it's not Caesar. Our Savior and Lord is from the heavenly kingdom. He is from the heavenly kingdom. He is the true Savior, the true Lord. In verse 21, Paul says that Jesus will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. Now, what does Paul mean? What's he talking about? Well, what Paul is talking about is the fact that now our bodies are weak. Our bodies break. Our bodies decay. They deteriorate. And then we die. And we're thankful for doctors and we're thankful for for modern medicine. What blessings we experience. But with all of the incredible benefits that we enjoy, we still become weak. Our bodies still break and we still die. So Paul says that Jesus is going to transform this body that breaks, this body that wrinkles, this body that loses hair, this body that declines and decays and eventually be put in the ground. Paul says that for those who are believers, God's going to rip that broken body up out of the ground, take those particles of dust, and he's going to make them into a glorious, amazing body. You can read more about it in 1 Corinthians 15, but this body doesn't need a flu vaccine. This body will never need a cast. This body will never need all of the things that our broken bodies need here. No, it'll be a glorious resurrection body. Do you see that Paul wants to help the Philippians have hope? Have hope. How will Christ accomplish this? By the power of God. He's all-powerful. That's what, that's what Paul says here in verse 21. All things are subject to him. This means that Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He may be in prison under Caesar's domain, but Paul knows that the Lord is the ultimate ruler, that he is the ultimate king who rules over all. So how do you stay the course? We saw first you follow the example of godly believers. Next, you, you, you beware of living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. And from verses 20 and 21, you take hope. Have hope. Let's suppose that in your life, everything's going great. Family's good, job's good, health is good. But then suddenly you begin to have some medical issues. It's obvious to you that, that you need to take a trip to, to the family doctor. And after this visit, your doctor sends you for some tests and, and more tests. And after a series of tests and visits to a specialist, it becomes clear that you have a serious medical condition, one that is even life-threatening. And at that moment, you are terrified. You're terrified of what the future holds. But as you come to terms with your diagnosis, the doctor begins to share with you some treatments that are available, some possibilities that, that may help. And then you begin to have some hope. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying to them, you may be struggling now. You may be suffering now. But brothers and sisters, take hope. I have real hope to offer you. I have the hope of eternal life where your citizenship is in heaven, where you'll have a glorious body that never wears out and it's not inclined to sin as these, as these bodies are. Oh, Jesus is going to return. One day the clouds are going to open up and the, the terror of this world, the sin and the suffering of this world, it's all going to be gone. 
And for all who are in Christ will know the joy of an incredible heaven where everything is right. That's what Paul's saying. Take hope. Look what the future holds. How do you stay the course in this life? Well, friends, you must have hope. You must have hope. Are you struggling today? Maybe with your health. Maybe with your your body's decline as we age. We begin to feel the decline more and more. On Christ, one day you're going to have a glorious body. You're not going to have any trouble breathing that day. You're not going to feel any heart palpitations that day. You're not going to feel the the struggle of of arthritis that day. The pain, that none of that, it's all gone. So today, we may still feel those things. We still experience those things. But what we can do is in the moments when it seems especially hard, we can remember that if we are in Christ, that is not the end of the story. These things will be undone in eternity. They will be undone and it will be a glorious day. A glorious and wonderful day. So don't lose heart in the midst of day-to-day challenges. Don't give up. She faced the, the hurts and the brokenness of this world. No. This world's not the end. So keep your eyes on what really matters and, and have hope. Oh, that'll help you as you battle sin. Why do I keep battling this sin that I'm struggling with? Why? Because, because I want to I honor Jesus. And I can keep battling and fighting because one day I know I'm going to be in heaven. I won't have to battle that anymore. How do I keep doing the right thing when it seems difficult to and when I feel like people are wronging me and and taking advantage of me? How can I keep doing what's right? Because one day I'll live in a kingdom where no one will ever again do that. Where everything will always and only be right. Do you see how recognizing what the future holds can help us with the day-to-day struggles of life? We need to reframe the challenges that we face. We must always have hope. You can't stay the course without hope. Now, in some ways, life, it's like a maze. There are countless paths you can take. You go this way or that way or that way, and you can pour your life into some of the most incredible things. Many of the paths that we can take in life are great. Other paths are destructive and harmful and and lead to, to brokenness. But if you want to succeed when it comes to a maze, every path isn't the same. If you want to succeed when it comes to a maze, you've got to recognize that ultimately there's only one way to get to the finish line or to reach the goal. And what Paul is saying here in this passage is that you must take the path of following Jesus. And you must stay the course. Will you wander around aimlessly? Or will you follow hard after Jesus and stay the course? Friends, stay the course. Follow the example of the godly. Beware of living as an enemy of Christ and have hope. If you're a believer here today and you're struggling in your faith, I want to encourage you to find another believer who's striving to to really live it out. Not that they're perfect. they're, They're not. Watch their lives. Ask them for prayer. Ask them to to walk alongside you a bit. This is one of the reasons God intends for every believer to be in a church family, so we can help each other. You can't stay the course on your own. That's obvious in the words that Paul has said. We need each other. 
So today, if you're struggling, won't you find another believer who can, who can be an example to you and a support to you? And if you're here as a believer, I, I want to urge you to, to strive to live the kind of life that, that's worthy of emulation. But for those of you who are here today and you do not know Christ, I plead with you today, won't you turn to Jesus? Won't you get on the path of following Him? Well, you're not going to have everything right up front. There'll still be some questions perhaps that you have. You don't have to have every question answered. You don't have to have every I dotted and every T crossed. Like, you know, I, I, I've got all this going on in my life. Can I follow Jesus? I've got all that. No, Jesus will help you tend to all of that. Just turn to Him in faith. He'll help you. He'll help you work through that. You, you don't have to get your stuff together, then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and Jesus helps you get your stuff together. He helps you change. It's a process. But it's a process that can only begin when you turn from sin and you call out to Jesus in faith. So if you've never called out to Jesus in faith, if you've never been saved, friend, I plead with you today, won't you be saved? The end of those who reject Christ and who live as enemies of the gospel, their end is destruction. I plead with you, don't go there. Christ died so you don't have to. Let's pray.